Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly happy hour today on Trending. One thing that really makes me happy is that our Catholic faith has lots of opportunities to party, eat good food, maybe even take a day off, many things, but one of them coming up is during the Advent season, and that's tomorrow, December 6th, St. Nicholas Feast Day, who we get the good old tradition of Santa Claus from St. Nicholas as well as the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception this week on December 8th, which, by the way, is a holy day of obligation. So put it in your calendar. Just add it to my husband's this morning, making sure he plans to make it to Mass so that we can go as a family. Um, Very, very special feast days, and there's no better person to talk about these feast days other than Kendra Tierney from Catholic All Year. We'll talk about how to celebrate them in our homes, fun things you can do for the whole family, from littles to adults. Also dive into Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's bomb that's coming this later this week with their netflix series the first episodes released this week and part two next week trash your family in public moment or do you think there's legitimate criticism always but i don't know about this kind of legitimate criticism of the royal family we'll talk about that in just a moment i would like to hear your thoughts on Meghan markle and prince harry and the whole netflix series so if you have a comment one eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine we'll also talk about joy the happy hour of joy here on Trending, and how friendship can make a particular part of joy important, how we learn to sacrifice. Also diving into that second Advent candle today on Trending and how it represents peace and what this means in our lives. Joining me now from CatholicAllYear.com is Kendra Tierney. She wrote an incredible book called The Catholic All Year Compendium. It's everyday living for you and I to incorporate saints, a feast day, and the liturgy into our day-to-day. And Kendra, I'm so excited to talk about St. Nicholas Feast Day and how we can quickly scramble to make it something special in our home tomorrow. What do we need to do? Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I I think the first thing you need to know is that if you're going to put shoes out, that happens tonight on the eve of the feast day. There's always a lot of confusion. Like, when do you put the shoes out? That happens the day before. So uh, you can put shoes out. And then uh, if you have some treats, or we usually like to do a book and then just like a candy cane and a chocolate Santa or something in there to give the kids kind of a little attaboy, like a little extra treat because we're, we're observing Advent and waiting for Christmas. 
I love that. And um, some people do shoes. Some people, I know I actually decided last year that was when we were going to start taking out our stockings as we slowly phase into the Christmas decorations. So I already unpacked them earlier today and I need to hang them up today. Uh, but talk about stuff like such as some of the traditions. I know some people actually buy new shoes for people in the family. Or last year, I think I bought socks for some of my family members. But kind of some of the different things that people do to, or tomorrow for St. Nicholas Feast Day and why. Yeah, that's really cute. I, I like I like that. And I especially like what you were saying about, you know, having a sort of phased approach to Christmas decorating. I think that's a really liturgically appropriate way to do it and a really historically Catholic way to do it. That rather than, you know, day after Thanksgiving, if you made it that long to put up all the Christmas decorations and then that's it, you're just done. It looks like Christmas. Instead to to do what you're talking about of like asso- trying to associate different um, different phases of the decoration with different feast days or with different Sundays of Advent and have the decorating be a process that happens. I, I think that's a really good idea. And then um, what what's always big in our home is is food that I, I really like to associate different foods with, uh, with different feast days. And we actually, uh, if you have access to Formed, uh, we have, we've got a new show called Catholic All Year at Home that's on Formed and there's a St. Nicholas Day episode, the first episode. And so um, y- you can see what, uh, what crazy feast day preparation looks like in my house with all the kids helping. Um, but we make, uh, we make a Dutch uh, Christmas cookie called Speculos cookies that's in a St. Nicholas shape. Um, we make a mulled wine uh, that's called, that's actually called Bishop's Win after St. Nicholas and also a mulled cider for the kids um, and a, uh, a, a deep fried Dutch meatball called Bitterballen that I like to serve for St. Nicholas Day. Um, and my kids, you know, we all, we always have really good, you know, associations with those things that you do again and again, year after year. And the kids love to remind you. <laughs> I love it. How do you have time to do all of this, Kendra? You have a full house. Uh, but it, again, it's it's stuff that I like to do, and I always really encourage people who are taking up liturgical living in the home, or if it's a, an especially difficult season, um, that you know do things that you want to be doing anyway just sort of tweak them to to go with with the liturgical year a little bit so um i can manage a couple you know a couple sort of complicated feast day meals a month because i like to do that and i really do enjoy having the kids with me in the kitchen and we put on advent carols that's another thing is i have separate playlists on spotify for Advent carols and Christmas carols. So we put on our Advent carols and there are some really, really beautiful, specifically Advent songs. So we listen to our Advent carols and we, uh, you know, we bake cookies, we make a special dinner. And uh, and I think that, that, that that works for me because it's something that I enjoy doing anyway. 
So it becomes a family activity. And I like where you mentioned because you have a lot of different Saints Day recommendations. And some some months are full of opportunities and weeks are full of opportunities. And I know some people maybe get a little overwhelmed by all the things that you can do um, on the feast days. And maybe it's not everything. And maybe the best you did is you put a couple things in your stockings and you took your stockings out today. Or maybe it's, I love you said you, you throw a book in and I'm actually regretting <laughs> that I didn't um, take take my Christmas books for the baby that she probably doesn't remember from last year and save it for tomorrow. <laughs> I took some of them today <laughs> instead. Um, but let's go ahead and talk in just a moment about St. Nicholas Feast Day. We'll come right back here on Trending with Timory with Kendra Tierney from Catholic All Year. You can find her again online, simple website, catholicallyear.com. We'll post the link now on social media. Follow me at Timory, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back to our weekly happy hour today on Trending. And as we often hear people say with regard to happiness, they say, do things that make you happy. And one of those for our Catholic faith is when we actually celebrate the liturgical calendar. From CatholicAllYear.com, Kendra Tierney's here with me now. We're talking about how to celebrate St. Nicholas Feast Day tomorrow, December 6th. All kinds of fun to more complicated recipes to simple things to do for your family with the shoes and the stockings. As I said before, I started last year taking out my stockings as a phase into Christmas decorations the night before St. Patrick's Feast Day and then just filling them with some fun little shoes or socks um, that the family might need or something simpler depending on where we're at in life. But coming up this week is the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception on Thursday. It's a holy day of obligation. This is where we celebrate that Our Lady was conceived, Conception Day, what weird Catholic things we do, Um, but we celebrate that she was conceived immaculately without any sin, any stain of original sin. And so to talk about ways we can bring this feast day in our home from food to activities is Kendra Tierney from Catholic All Year. Kendra, how should we be celebrating this feast day, uh, bringing the liturgy of the Mass that we all go to into our homes? Yeah, absolutely. And this one is a little bit more complicated uh, than than your standard, you know, just Saint Day where you tell the story of the saint while sitting around the table, which is sort of our standard operating practice. But like you were saying, the the Immaculate Conception is is a pretty sophisticated doctrinal level feast day. Um, but But that's one of the things I love about liturgical living in the home is that it really does give us this opportunity to introduce Catholic doctrine in these little bite-sized chunks where our kids are going to hear it, to understand it a little bit differently each time they encounter it. And so I I really think that the Feast of the Immaculate Conception is is really a, a good example of that. Um, but just as far as fun things to do, my my two favorite things, well, of course, we, we go to Mass because it's a holy day of obligation, but my two favorite ways to observe the feast day at home 
are to do an at-home Marian procession. So we just grab some pictures of Mary, um, some little Marian statues that we have, and that's our favorite thing to get um, as a souvenir when we're traveling is we'll find a, a Marian statue from from various places that we that we travel. So the kids can all have a Marian statue and we'll just process outside if the weather allows or just around the house and we'll sing Ave Maria. And it's just a fun, uh, it, silly yet reverent way to, you know, to honor Our Lady. And then um, as far as foods, because I always like to incorporate foods, we have an all white dinner, which can be as complicated or as simple as you want. I am joined by Kendra Tierney from CatholicAllYear.com, and we're talking about the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, the Solemnity, which is one of the highest feasts in the liturgical year, and we're walking through ways to bring this feast day into your own home. We're talking about how many feast days you can read the saint's story, gather around the table with the family, but here's a special day with a very special doctrine talking about how Our Lady was conceived without sin. And so, Kendra, you were sharing that you guys do a Marian procession around the house or maybe outside around the house, as well as singing the Ave Maria. What else do you do to celebrate the Immaculate Conception with regard to food and making it an all-white meal? This is one that takes a little work, it sounds like. Well, it, take, it, it, might, it takes a little bit of creativity, I guess, but it doesn't have to be complicated. You know, things like you know, just a, a chicken breast and mashed potatoes and cauliflower is, is all white or chicken Alfredo or, um, you know, a like vegetable lasagna usually looks white. Um, so anything like that. And I think that it just, what I'm trying to do when I'm picking foods is set the stage for a conversation around the dinner table. So we can look and we can say, look, all the foods that we're eating are white. And so what does that mean? And, and we talk about our lady's purity and about how, God preserved her in order to be a vessel for Jesus and how that, of course, makes sense that he would want to do that because, because she was going to be God's home. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's silly in some ways, but it really is a great way to connect with kids. You're making me hungry. I'm 38 weeks pregnant this week and I have not had a veggie lasagna in years, but like my mouth is watering just thinking about a veggie lasagna. Um, so some really fun things. You're already making a meal. All you have to do is add conversation and plan what meal you're going to have on this feast day. And if you have a Marian statue, process around the home. Kendra, thank you so much for helping to unpack these feast days. Before we go, though, I do have one more question. We're in this Advent season. Is there anything else that you'd say you can't miss during this special season in the next couple of weeks that we can maybe plan ahead for? I would say that to think about incorporating the Christmas novena into your family uh, into your family traditions. It's the, just the last nine days. You know, if you didn't make the Jesse tree, if you couldn't do the Christmas anticipation prayer all the way since the Feast of St. Andrew, that's okay. The, the Christmas novena, nine days, um, it, it's it, it's just a really beautiful way to to sit down as a family every night and and prepare. And there are, there are set novenas. There's one in my book, The Catholic All Year, uh, prayer companion. Um, and it's also available on my website, but if you want to just say an our father and a hail Mary and a glory be every night, that's a good start. You could say the rosary. Um, you can do anything that you do for nine days. It's a where, way to prayerfully, um, you know, prepare, uh, for, for the coming of Christmas. 
Okay, so what day do we start that? 16th. Okay, the 16th is your start day for that Christmas novena, and we'll share a link to your book, Kendra, because it is fantastic. I love to reference it. I pick it up off and on as life gets busy or slow, even at the beginning of the month, just picking a couple of the saints' feast days. I really love to bring attention to um, the liturgy and the history of our faith and the fun that it can bring with food and these incredible stories of people who walk before us. Check her work out at catholicallyear.com, and again, I post the link on social media media to our website as well as to the book and I'm tagged her on Instagram she has great ideas all year round so please go follow her you can follow me at Timmery T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E to grab that tag okay I want to talk about Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's new Netflix series we heard back in 2020 when all the drama was happening about them leaving the palace that Meghan Markle and Prince Harry had signed a deal with Netflix I thought it was really odd to be begin with because the whole thing with Prince Harry always seemed to be that he didn't like the idea of media, media attention, didn't like talking to the press. It was upsetting for him. It was a reminder of his mother and his mother's death and all of the drama with the paparazzis that happened around that. But then all of a sudden, here he is and there's this royal drama with Meghan Markle and them leaving the family. And he decides to do not just tell-alls, but multiple tell-alls, documentaries, and make money off of publicly trashing his family. Now, without getting into the nitty-gritty at the moment of what the family did or didn't do, let's just listen to the trailer that dropped this morning for the first part of the series that comes to us this Thursday the 8th, the second part being next week on Netflix. Listen to this. It's really hard to look back on it now and go, what on earth happened? You hear that? That is the sound of hearts breaking all around the world. She's becoming a royal rock star. And then... Everything changed. There's a hierarchy of the family. You know, there's leaking, but there's also planting of stories. There was a war against Meghan to suit other people's agendas. It's about hatred. It's about race. It's a dirty game pain and suffering of women marrying into this institution, this feeding frenzy. I realized they're never going to protect you. I was terrified. I didn't want history to repeat itself. No one knows the full truth. We know the full truth. Okay, that's the trailer for Netflix two-part series coming out this week and the following week. Prince Harry, Harry and Meghan, that's the name of it, Harry and Meghan on Netflix. I I know some people are like, I'm so sick of even hearing or seeing their names. Some people call Meghan Markle an absolute narcissist. I'm just completely confused by Prince Harry, who hated the media and now is just completely dragging his family through the mud uh, over this, especially this kind of sensitive season. I mean, having lost both the prince consort and now the queen over the last few years, it's a lot at once. And I think what really, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, um, the thing that has been getting to me about it is the inconsistency of character, especially with Harry, with not liking to work with media and suddenly diving into it. Um, but the bigger thing that gets to me is how, and this is what I want to talk about during our happy hour here on Trending, how we aren't happy when we allow resentment 
or gossip to enter into our lives when something bad happens to us. So let's go with the narrative, not that that's what I believe, but let's run with the narrative that Meghan Markle and Prince Harry have really received the short end of the stick, have been terribly treated by the royal family, which again, I'm not saying that's what I believe, but if that is the case, or maybe if that's the case of something that's happened to you in your life, where someone very close to you, it could be a family member, could be a parent, could be a sibling, it could be a boss, a work environment, there's so many things. All of us receive wounds. All of us have bad experiences. But are we really happier when we resentfully continue to relive those circumstances, that situation? Are we happier when we resent and continue to allow resentment to build in our hearts, our minds, our bodies based on what we've experienced? Are we happier when we start to gossip Maybe even just with a handful of people, there's a difference between sometimes needing to get something off your chest or work through or try to understand something. But that's not what this is. This is going from person to person to person sharing your story about how someone else hurt you. And yes, you may have been hurt, but to what end? I think that, you know, it's interesting, especially because Harry, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are in some ways showing a very stereotypical millennial mindset. And that is, someone hurt me, I'm a victim, they're the victimizer, and I'm just going to allow my identity as a human being, I'm going to allow my self-worth, I'm going to allow the means in which I get attention, friendships, and income to be completely based on this victim mentality. And I don't think that makes us happier. No matter how hard we've been hurt by anyone in our lives, I don't think fueling the resentment, fueling the gossip, dragging other people's names through the mud is going to make us feel any better. I'm certain that Prince Harry has had, at least in the past, love for his family, if not now. And when you really love someone, you do not just smear them, even if they have hurt you. Does that mean you don't tell the truth? No, but not everyone deserves the truth. And I think sometimes that's the problem with the current culture. We think, and again, this is a millennial thing, that the best thing to do is that when someone hurts you, you just preach it and tell the whole world if you think you've been hurt. But not everyone deserves the truth, and not everyone deserves to have their character. No one deserves to have their character trashed, unless perhaps you're a pedophile who is an absolute danger to society. Now, I know we could talk about racism and all of these other elements with regard to what's happening with the whole royal scandal, but what this comes back to is how we as a culture, and especially I would say millennials down, allow for this victim-victimizer attitude and identity to really consume us and allow gossip and resentment to fuel who we are and how we identify, rather than following that great gift of Jesus Christ in receiving the gift of forgiveness from him and granting that same forgiveness to others. This is what we pray for when we pray that our Father forgive those as we for, forgive us as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Help us to forgive others, but the basis for how we ourselves will be forgiven will be based on how we forgive others. That's a tall order. If you really pray that our Father and think about those words, it calls you 
to a greater, a much greater calling than what the culture calls you to today. A completely different mindset. A radical self-giving mindset that doesn't focus so much on me, but on what is far better than myself. On what Jesus Christ himself did on the cross. Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And isn't that true of ourselves when we ourselves sin and we ourselves hurt other people? So it's just a thought, our weekly happy hour. As I'll be interested to see. I don't know. I might watch it. It is entertaining to hear anything with regards to the royal family. Royalty attracts. It's kind of just that entertainment, especially as Americans and not having royalty. We love it. Uh, it's fun. The clothes are pretty. But what's more interesting is kind of this thought and experiment on how millennials, even millennials who are very wealthy and very public, we all in many ways think alike and we all have these faults and maybe, who knows, watch it with that perspective. And I'd love to hear your thoughts of how maybe yourself have struggled uh, with the ways that Megan and Harry are allowing for that victimhood mentality to impact them and fuel this brokenness within them that I know isn't making them any happier. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Joining me now from American Life League is Hugh Brown. You can find them at ALL. Org. That's A-L-L dot org. And he's the executive vice president there at American Life League. Hugh, during our weekly happy hour, I want to talk to you about a really important friendship you've had in your life and how it's challenged you in a very different way um, to a radical form of love that I think is, I think follows really on this whole Meghan Markle and Prince Harry conversation where, you know, it's not always easy to love someone and it's sometimes through that sacrifice that we find ourselves transformed and happier, uh, not having maybe the type of friendship or relationship we thought we would have had with someone. So welcome to Trending Q. I'd love to dive into this topic with you. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, Timory, for having me. Yeah, the friend you're referring to uh, is a young man who, when we were 18 years old, we were both uh, recruited and going uh, to the University of Maryland to play football. And the very beginning, when we first met, we were uh, both playing for the same position. And then he's a much bigger human being. He ended up being a defensive lineman, and I played linebacker. And my first impression of him was negative. Um, you know, he was a guy that I thought liked attention. He had the, the haircuts and the earrings and the tattoos and all that stuff. Um, but really deep down inside, he was a very genuine person. And you know, I, for me, judging him like that, that was a mistake. But at 18, you know, we're, we're a little different than we are today. Um, and we became good friends. We became good friends. He actually was in uh, my wedding uh, probably five years later. Um, he played for the Denver Broncos. He uh, played in the NFL for five years. Then he went to the World Wrestling uh, Federation, the WWE. And he was paralyzed in 1999. Wow. Uh, we had met in 1988. In 1999, he was in a match. And he, uh, the guy that was trying to pick him up, who was half his size, uh, fell. And when he fell, he landed awkwardly, and his spinal cord bent, and I think C4 and C5 in his neck mm. exploded. Oh. And he pretty much is a, a quadriplegic. And that was October 6th, I think, of 1999. I was sitting in my office. Got, we had graduated in 92, so seven or eight years had gone by. Um, got a call from a friend who told me this had happened. Uh, the internet was brand new in 1999. I didn't believe him. I logged on and saw that he had been injured. I tried calling his cell phone, tried calling his mom. Uh, we became real good friends in college and, and long thereafter uh, because we both loved fishing. 
that was the one thing that um, he, he and I could vanish on a lake, you know, for, for a weekend and just have a great time. And when I found out that he had actually been injured, I told my wife, I got to go. I got to go. I, I figured out where he was. He uh, had been wrestling in Nassau Coliseum in New York. So he was in Mount Sinai. Um, I met my friend, uh, three of us who were very close. And we went to see him. And he was um, intubated, meaning he had a, a tube down his throat. He was a massive human being. I mean, six foot four, 285 pounds of just sheer muscle. I mean, just a, an absolute specimen. And he, they had him unconscious and his arms were flailing. And I thought maybe that meant that things weren't that bad. But after he came out of that uh, induced coma for a couple of days and the surgeries had been done, um, he essentially had lost use, like 90, 90% use of his, his body. He could flop his arms around and still can, but had no feelings in his hands and no real functional use of his arms. So he's technically a quadriplegic. And the very first thing he said to me when he saw me was he wanted me to go find his vehicle open the glove compartment, get out his pistol, bring it back in and shoot him in the head. And all I could do was think to pray. So I reached over, grabbed his arm and we started praying. And that was October 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th of 1999. Um, I stayed up there for a couple of weeks, um, saw him every day and prayed. He was in rehab for about a year, which, which helped him a little bit. And he's been, you know, living on his own pretty much for the last 20 years with the help of, he has full-time help in his house. The WWE, to their credit, has taken extraordinary care of him. And I've pretty much called him every night uh, since October 6th when we first started praying. Um, about 11.15 every night, and we pray. Uh, we'll talk for a little while. Um, he loves to hear about our St. Michael football team and all the things those kids are doing. Um, we'll talk about life. We'll talk about faith. Uh, we'll talk about his day. Um, there's a lot of times, Timory, when you talk about friendship, I can tell you there's many nights, this has been 23 years, so this started when I was 30. Um, I've gotten a lot older in 23 years, so 1115 <laughs> hits a little different than it did when I was 30. But, um, you know, there's nights I don't feel like calling him, and it, my wife all the time will say, you know, you, you need to call him. And I will, you know, uh, because we love him. Um, if I've had a bad day or had a long day or been up since 4 a.m. or something, I still, I still find a way to make that phone call. And occasionally he'll call me. And in that 23 years, I mean, I would say without being judgmental, uh, he's 29 years old when he got hurt. And I would say he was a pagan at best. Um, my wife and I baptized him in the mid 2000s. He wanted to be baptized. Um, we pray. Uh, I've had priests, you know, go and visit him. He, he, he really, he's gone back to his high school. And even though he's in a gigantic mobilized chair, um, he's helped coach football. He's given inspirational talks. Um, he's helped mentor young men that have had the same injury. Um, and he's just become an inspiration to many, many people. And, you know, the friendship that he and I have, uh, it sort of began. It began because football was the common denominator. It brought us together, then fishing. And I think what cemented our relationship was uh, me getting married in 1992 and a couple years later uh, battling depression and anxiety. And my wife was scared for me. I just was dealing with some dark stuff in my head that thankfully the Lord removed. But on a random Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, at some point in the summer, I, I drove home and there was his vehicle. He was playing for the Denver Broncos at the time. And he had driven over 2,000 miles uh, because my wife told him she was concerned for me. So he did that for me and that changed my life. Just the act, um, he knows that, I've said that to him, but the act of him actually doing that, I mean, that's, that's love. It's unconditional love. I mean, he could have called. 
certainly didn't have to do that. We spent a few days together and he helped me, you know, in that process of overcoming depression and anxiety, which I think visits many people, which is very real. And I think it's a very much a, has a spiritual component too that you have to pray against. Um, and he's just been a dear lifelong friend. And it's been my honor to be able to be there for him and to help him. And I know that when he was broken, um, I don't think he had Christ in his life or in his heart. And, you know, 23 years later, he's a Christian, he's a believer. Um, he, he prays. Um, we've talked about converting. We've talked, priests have visited him, but that, that's a personal choice. That's, that's on him. That's up to him and his heart. Uh, but he very much, you know, has nothing but love for others. And um, he's an inspiration to me. So I appreciate the uh, time and opportunity to share that story. Hugh, what an incredible story, an incredible witness uh, to friendship. I think that not a lot of people have friendships like that today in general, um, especially men, I would argue. But look at all these years later, you know, 23 years later, you share of, you know, this brokenness from this accident that occurred, and yet the gift of that friendship and, you know, a gift for him and, like, that loving choice that you make every evening to call him at 11.15, you know, to check in, see where he's at, how he's doing. Um, in the midst of it, I pro can imagine in some ways what could be a very difficult life, you know, coming from athleticism, dance background, Pilates background, you know, as an athlete, losing the faculties of your body, becoming a paraplegic. I mean, you feel like you have no control in your life. When you were an athlete, you were used to having a high level of precision and control and movement and refinement. And that has to be a huge challenge for him. I mean, even today, all these years later, you know, looking back, uh, but your friendship, like your consistency, I can just imagine has been a life force for him in terms of keeping his head in check that life is more than just about this athleticism, this gift, this talent that he had that God allowed, not that God, God chose it, but that God allowed to be taken away from him. It's interesting that you bring that up. I mean, you and I did not discuss this previously at all, but that is a, a fantastic insight. Uh, from the time we met when we were 18 in, in 1988 um, until the time he was injured, you know, uh, many years later in 1999, his identity was exactly that. Everything that he was recognized for, everything that he, he lived for was physicality, right? Whether it was football, whether it was fishing, he was an avid outdoorsman. Um, Everything he was he was on the go he was on the move I mean and, and anywhere he'd go people would recognize him yet he, he had his own uh, dolls in Walmart I mean he he was someone that people recognized and it all his life was that and when it got taken it's not just the physical part but it is exactly the emotional part it's the spiritual part it's 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 not just human weakness but it's the devil working on us to say you know what you need to tell him to go get a gun so you can put it to your head and pull the trigger life's not worth living. And what a phenomenal lie that is, right? The devil is a deceiver and a liar and, and a killer. And we talk about that because we pray for, you know, since, since that happened, we've had five children. We, we talk about a lot. We pray for my children. We pray for his nieces and his nephews. And in that 23 years, it's not just the darkness. It's not just the anxiety. I mean, the worst thing that he suffers with is anxiety. He, he can't move. Imagine at 2.30 in the morning, you're not being able to sleep and you just can't get up and go. He's stuck right there. The best he can do is turn his head left or right. He has dealt with uh, lung problems because he's stationary. He has had a pneumonia. He's had pneumonia to the point where that's when we baptized him. It was probably 2007 or eight 
I'm sorry. Yeah. 2007, eight or nine. His mom called me and said, he's in the hospital. It doesn't look good. He can't breathe. And, um, yeah, we, we baptized him and I was reading, how do we do this? Does a priest have to do it? And it, it was extraordinary means. So I actually wanted to use holy water. So on the way up there, I mean, God works in great ways in the middle of New Jersey, we, this little tiny exit, I, did something told my wife to make the turn. We made the turn and there's a Catholic church and the doors were unlocked. And I since have talked to the priest, the door should not have been unlocked. So we're able to get holy water, go and baptize him. He overcame the pneumonia, which he's had multiple times. He's had E. coli infections because he's catheterized. He's been within 12 hours of dying. Um, uh, the slightest scratch on his skin can turn into these massive wounds that require months to heal. I mean, he has had more to deal with than any human being I've even read about. I mean, the suffering that this man has endured, I, I've told him that purgatory is very real. His purgatory has been lived and is being lived, and we're trying to, 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 to get as much grace from that as possible. I mean, to, to me, he could end up being a saint because he suffered, and every night that we pray, he could have just overcome something that like the E. coli infection, you know, that was a miracle because he had a girlfriend at the time when he was injured who stayed in his life for a couple of years, but then she left and she was very negative. She was surrounded by just immense negativity. And I think even the demonic, you know, and, and she, she believed he'd get healed quickly. And when he didn't get healed quickly, she gave up, she gave up on him and we pray for her. But you know, there was, he had a fever of 105 degrees and the nurse that was taking care of him at the time would visit. And it was a Friday. And uh, the, the response from the young lady to the nurse was, well, he just has another 105 degree fever. He'll be fine. If the nurse hadn't come that day, he'd be dead. So yeah. there's just lots of things like that where he's overcome challenges that are, as you said, everything was taken from him. What he's had to face is inexplicable, but he has overcome it and he's overcome it through faith. And it's a reminder of how friends don't let friends despair. We live in a culture with, as you mentioned, severe anxiety and depression. You know, it's played a part in your life. It's played a part in his. At times, and I just keep thinking of you, same when you first showed up in the hospital after the injury of your dear friend. He says, you know, kill me. Like, go go to the car, get my gun, please. And you know, we don't allow that as friends. And I think that's a distinct perspective as people of faith. And I know what part of what sparked this conversation is actually the gospel readings for today. You and I were talking before the show, Luke chapter 5, um, verses 17 to 26, about the friends, the four friends who are willing to help their friend who is paralyzed by taking him to be healed by Jesus Christ. But the crowds, as we know, were so full and so busy that they couldn't get in. And they literally climbed up onto the roof, dug a hole through the roof and let down their paralyzed friend to be healed by Christ. And we intervene in people's lives. Perhaps we can't take them in that way to Christ, but we can take them in other ways to Christ. And we can help in the healing by being that good friend. That's when Hugh Brown from American Life League. Find him at all.org doing incredible pro-life and pro-family work. Thanks for joining us, Hugh. I'll be right back.
Emmanuel. Happy Advent. Thanks for joining me today on Trending. It's our weekly happy hour. And as we're diving into everything that's been happening in the culture lately, I want to talk a little bit about peace. Peace is what we um, know the second Advent candle on our Advent wreath. Uh, symbolizes. If you didn't know, now you know there's so much meaning behind the Advent wreath from the candles to the ring to the evergreen. So if you didn't catch the podcast episode, we'll post a link now on social media to that as well as in the episode notes, relevantradio.com forward slash trending. You can catch an episode, share it, uh, or wherever you catch your podcast. Be sure not to miss an episode of trending and subscribe there. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about peace right now. Um, peace is something that our culture so desperately needs. I think if we're to just situate the whole idea of peace and the antithesis of it, it would be this sense of anxiety, of dissatisfaction, of sorrow, of uneasiness, of jealousy. I mean, so many things I think oppose peace. I was even thinking about how we were discussing earlier the whole Harry and Meghan uh, docudrama that's coming out through Netflix and how there's no peace, there's no happiness in what they're doing. Even if you believe and follow the narrative that all of these things were done to them, the royal family's terrible and Meghan and Harry have been treated so awfully. If you believe that, I'm not saying that's what I believe. Well, what makes them any happier by dragging their whole family through the mud making their family's business very public gossip and harboring resentment and allowing that resentment to be their identity and their means of making income. And there's a reason why we are living in a culture with a severe mental health crisis, interior dissatisfaction that's leading to this, what I would argue is an exterior discontinuity. We say one thing and then we act another. For example, Prince Harry has always said he hates media, doesn't like talking to media, tried to keep his relationship very private from media, and then lo and behold, he and his wife decide that they've been hurt, and now he is just like unleashed everything on the on the royal family, and he's showing this exterior discontinuity because of his interior dissatisfaction. Why? Because we all do this. It's a, due to a lack of peace. And so when we have that Advent candle in the sac- second week of Advent, sitting on our coffee table or dinner table or wherever it might be, we should pause for a moment and ponder how we need to cultivate peace in our hearts. Jesus Christ is peace itself. And there's something so quiet in that moment of recognizing the birth of Christ where it's as if everything stands still and all that matters is this little Christ child who is the salvation of the world, who God loved us so much that he was willing to give his only begotten son for us. With all the suffering that he would endure, the crucifixion, the death. And it makes us ask, what is peace? I think a lot of us very easily reduce peace to a lofty desire for world peace. 
for continuity, for us all to sing kumbaya and hold hands. I don't really like holding hands with a bunch of people, just saying. Um, if that's the piece that people want, I don't know if that's the piece I want. <laughs> but see, that's where we turn into as a culture, you know, my, my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth. But I would argue that the same attitude is had with regard to peace today. Let's just have world peace. Let's just be one with the other. What we're often saying is, I'll be peaceful if you just think and act and do as I want you to think and act and do, which is how I think and act and do. But in reality, we really don't want people. I know I don't really want people to really think and act how I do because I have many imperfections. So what's peace? There's a lot that could be said, and we could dive into it theologically and philosophically. Peace is one of the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. So I really do encourage you to pray for the fruit of peace for Christ's peace to reign. One of the titles that I really love to pray to Our Lady under is Our Lady of Peace and Our Lady of Hope. Um, and Our Lady of Peace, because just praying those like Our Lady of Peace be with us. Our Lady of Peace intercede for us. Our Lady of Peace take us to peace himself that is Christ. But I'll kind of ponder what is so peaceful about the idea of peace itself. I think peace gives us a sense of belonging. Uh, in Father Robert Spitzer's work on the five pillars of the spiritual life, he refers to peace as a deep sense of home. He says, The peace coming from the Holy Spirit is more than mere relief from suffering. It's a sense of well-being or a sense of equanimity. And he says it's rooted in a deep sense of home. Home amid the cosmos. Uh, understanding that it's the opposite of everything from alienation um, to everything that we experience in the culture of just feeling what he says out of kilter with the totality of the world. That peace is a sense of home. F home in the midst of everything we're surrounded by. I love where Father Robert Spitzer has actually talked before about in his Five Pillars of the Spiritual Life about how peace is being at home in totality. Being at home in totality. Why? It's through the Holy Spirit that we have a sense of fitting in because we understand we're a creature, God is the creator. And when we get that creature-creator relationship right or try to, it causes us to have humility. It causes us to have a healthy level of dependence, of self-ownership only through the grace of Christ and dependence on Christ. It unites us with our Creator, which allows us to be united with the rest of His creation. Spouses, children, friends, acquaintances, work, work environment. You see, we have to, as a culture, return to finding this gift of peace, this fruit of peace that only comes from God. In a culture where all of us at some point feel as if we don't belong, whether it's within the context of our own family, whether it's in a social situation, maybe it's just that moment we've all been there where you're standing in line at the grocery store or at the airport or alone and you just feel awkward. You have no one to talk to. You feel alienated. You feel alone. Maybe you're home. Maybe you're home with children. You feel alienated. Those feelings of dissatisfaction, those feelings of being out of kilter with the totality of the environment you're in, 
We're actually pointing to an opportunity for spontaneous prayer and union with God, working in partnership with the Holy Spirit to achieve peace that only comes from God, trusting that where he has you at this moment, even sometimes in the darkest of situations, is where he's allowed you to be, and that he does give the grace necessary to endure, and not just endure or make it through, but to grow and flourish and thrive in the midst of any challenging circumstance you might have. That's what we're building up to this Advent. We are preparing our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our souls for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who radically transforms, shakes up our lives, and gives us a true sense of what home is, where home is, who home is, and how to get there through the very blueprint that he's put together for the human body, for the human person. And that's not just for me, it's not just for you, it's not just for the person sitting in the church. It's for all of us, practicing Catholic, non-practicing Catholic, pagan, Jew, you name it. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Up next is a family rosary across America with Father Rocky. You know, the word is spreading around America. This is the go-to place if you've got a prayer and you want the whole country praying for it. So I invite people to join us every night for the Family Rosary Across America Live. 7 p.m. Central. Bringing Christ to the world through the media. Relevant Radio. The Faith Explained with Cale Clark. J.D. was listening to the program in Mesa, Arizona. He says, Cale, I've been recommending your Faith Explained show to friends and acquaintances and people at Costco gas stations. And my wife and I and our kids used your Revelation study during Lent. We really enjoyed it. I get most of my education while listening to headphones while I'm working at my outdoor job. Series like yours are a great way to educate people on the Bible. And I can't tell you what a great resource this is. Well, thank you so much, JB. I really appreciate that. Uh, it's great to know that you're out there listening. And I just love the fact that he's hanging out at Costco gas stations. People are filling up. Hey, have you heard about the Faith Explained program? I love the way you're evangelizing there, JB. Really appreciate you. The Faith Explained with Cale Clark. Explaining the faith so you can explain it to others. 12.30 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.